Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Well, good morning, my friends. It is the 8th of January, uh, 2021. I'm going to open with a verse from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 15. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are regarded as a speck of dust in the scales. Behold, he lifts up the islands like fine dust. I've had a lot of conversations in the last 48 hours about the rise and fall of nations and where the United States of America may well be in her national life cycle. And so I thought that I would uh, remind us this morning that when it comes to the history of nations, the United States of America is relatively young, still considered an experiment by many, many people. Um, Originally, a band of just 13 colonies seeking, as we all know, to live free of, of the tyranny of Great Britain. Uh, the the greatest superpower in the world at that point in time, the United States uh, was held out uh, or held out liberty as her highest ideal. And that liberty led to unprecedented prosperity for generations. That prosperity led to unparalleled power and great power. Uh, well, resulted ultimately in the United States of America standing really alone. Uh, as the dominant force in the world, and let's just recognize that when you're at when, that when you're at the top, you are uh, you continually have to defend your position, and when you possess power, particularly great power, you possess something that literally everyone else in the world wants. You can also begin thinking too highly of yourself. And I would say, uh, as is the case here in the United States of America, you can uh, forget your utter reliance upon God. So uh, I thought it would be good to allow the prophet Isaiah to remind us this morning that nations are like a drop from a bucket, regarded as a speck of dust in the scales of God. Perspective matters. Perspective on ourselves matters. Perspective on our time matters. Perspective on our nation matters. And while we are absolutely individually precious to God, and while God does use nations uh, in the unfolding of his redemptive plan, we have to remember that like all people, we too are like grass and like all other nations, the United States is still just a speck of dust on the scales of Almighty God. So we have been marking the moral decline of America for decades. We have also been noting the rising influence of other powers like China, seeking to displace America at the pinnacle of global influence. We have been noting the decline of civility. We have been noting the decline of, uh, of the, the educational prowess of our people. 
And while we still have the most dominant military force in the world, we are loath to use it. We are loath to use it to maintain the sovereignty of our own borders. And we are loath to use it, as demonstrated before a watching world on Wednesday, even to defend the encroachment into our nation's capital. Now, maybe that's because it was our own people. But therein lies a lesson, too. All of it has people asking really important questions this week. Some who have not asked these questions before, others who have been asking these questions for a long, long time. I guess my hope is that we are seeking God, not only for answers, but for mercy, for revival, for protection, for his enduring grace, and yes, for time. President Trump has uh, finally conceded, and yet another individual has died as a result of the riots in D.C. on Wednesday, this time a Capitol Police officer. Several people have resigned uh, their positions in the Trump administration, including two members of the cabinet, and there are calls uh, for the cabinet and the vice president to make use of the 25th Amendment to remove the president. There are also um, threats that Congress may uh, seek to impeach him even just in these last 12 days of his administration. There is a lot to cover this morning with Matt Hawkins, so let's take a very brief break and let's get to it. We'll be right back. is back with us. Former policy director for the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission served in Washington, D.C., now uh, both a Ph.D. student and um, what I would describe as a Christian commentator on what is happening in the world. You can find him at MatthewTHawkins.com. Matt, Happy New Year. Welcome back. Happy New Year, Carmen. I'm going to continue to say it because... It's, you yeah. know, it's the year of the Lord, no matter what else it is and no matter what else it becomes. It's the year of the it Lord. Um, so, um, yes, what a week uh, I am. I was looking forward to our conversation in no small measure because you lived and served in D.C. And I guess I just yeah. kind of want to know. I mean, you know, not just your reaction, but even just your your emotional reaction to the events there this week. Yeah, I, I think that's right, Carmen. <laughs> Um, I wasn't anticipating this, but uh, my, my head is like everyone's kind of spinning, mm-hmm. uh, even three days after this event. And uh, yeah, uh, here on live radio, kind of getting choked up about it, um, which hadn't happened yet. Um, my office for eight years in Washington was five blocks away from the Capitol. And uh, friends of mine and colleagues um, were attacked this week and uh, five people are dead including, as you mentioned, a Capitol Police officer. Um, Based on a protest and a violent attack, more than that, uh, a direct insurrection in an attempt to thwart our democratic processes um, at the primary seat of our federal government. Um, This should sadden and shock Every American. Um, 
to get uh, to give people kind of a a glimpse um, into Capitol Hill life, um, a lot of people are asking and confused as to why um, protesters um, were permitted uh, or why how uh, security was overrun um, by these uh, by these attackers. Um, the Capitol building itself. Uh, has a lot of security and a lot of, a lot more rules. The Capitol complex broadly in the campus is pretty open to the public. Um, it's really easy to get into uh, congressional office buildings. Um, it, these are the people's buildings. Uh, and as a representative democracy, uh, it's important and they have tried uh, for most of American history to keep access to our elected officials and our elected processes open. Um, and so most entry points just require entry through a, a, um, a metal detector. Um, some entrances into the Capitol Visitor Center, um, I mean, it's designed to host visitors at the Capitol complex, uh, though there are procedures and rules and protocols to follow. Um, so I just kind of want to paint the picture um, for folks that this is not the White House and it's not uh, like the Pentagon as far as the security measures. Um, nevertheless, uh, there have already been firings at the top level of the Capitol Police, um, as and there will be investigations as to why uh, they were overrun. Um, and I want to say that my experience with Capitol Police during my eight years there was always pleasant. I never had um, uh, a bad experience with them. Um, they are, as individuals, um, faithful and committed to preserving our democracy. Uh, but there was some kind of professional uh, breakdown, uh, on, on Tuesday. Um, those are my initial thoughts. Um, I, with, in the, in the day of, um, which I am wanted to do, uh, engage some, uh, fellow believers on Facebook, uh, who were posting, um, information to the contrary, that this was all peaceful and there's nothing violent going down. Meanwhile, uh, I have, I have friends and uh, I know credible people uh, who were in the Capitol complex uh, posting about their experiences and, and pictures while it was going on. Um, those are my initial thoughts. Um, it's yeah, a it's really helpful. profoundly so I, sad, sad day. I don't know where you were going from here. Very sad day. Very sad day. And and I and I want to acknowledge um, the the experience that you allude to there. Um, I talked last night with um, with a friend who, um, you know, had had neighbors who were in attendance in D.C. at the, you yeah. know, at what I will describe as the larger rally um, and knew right. nothing, sure. knew nothing about what was happening um, at the sure. Capitol on the Capitol grounds. And and, you know, only learned about it to their horror when they, uh, you know, got back to their hotel rooms Um yeah. You know, that's just not the part of D.C. they were in. That's not what they were engaged in. That's not why they were there. And I do think it is helpful for us to remember that um, there can be things going on and there are often people with motives different than our own at any large gathering, at any large yeah. gathering. And and I think yeah. that, it, you know, as as people are identified as having been involved, um, if there was an organized effort, which you know, certainly at in some videos, there appears to be some organization, at least among some people. And then I think there's sort of a throng of people who get swept up in it. But um, sure. uh, those are going to be the people who are going to be held most highly accountable. Yeah. 
Yeah, I I agree. Um, and, and rightly you know, so. Big picture. Yeah, right, right, rightly so. I mean, these they ought, ought to be prosecuted to the fullest extent of federal law. Um, okay, so no I want to. Hey, um, can we? Can we? When yeah, we? Right. I know we got to take a quick break. When we come back, can we unpack that phrase? Because that's quite a phrase, the fullest extent of the uh, federal law. And I've and I've heard it yeah. uh, fairly frequently. So I want to um, as a as a person who understands uh, that a little better than the rest of us. Can we come back to that in just a second? Yes, of course. Great. All right. I'm talking with Matthew Hawkins. Uh, we're talking about events this week in Washington, D.C., their impact on us as everyday Americans and certainly our response as Christians. We'll be right back. Continuing my conversation with Matt Hawkins, you can find him at MatthewTHawkins.com. Matt, I have heard over and over and over again, uh, these individuals should be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. I've heard reference to um, the the law put into place just months ago related to, um, at that point, Antifa um, and the, the destruction of federal property. That would now apply. Um, talking about a minimum of a 10-year sentence for, for such yeah. um, insurrection and some of the other words that are being used um, would be prosecuted. If they were prosecuted to the full extent of the law, we're talking about people going to jail forever. Like, that's it. That's you Lock them up and that's it. Throw away the keys. It's just short of treason, um, for, yeah. which is, uh, you know, <laughs> which, which um, we still, uh, you know, relieve you of your life um, if, right. if you are um, – credibly uh, prosecuted for that. Talk with us about um, the the use of the language, the full extent of the law, and then how likely yeah. you think it is that that's what's actually going to happen. Yeah. Um, and I'll say this. I, I don't know the particulars of uh, what um, what prosecution is available um, for these particular acts. Um, uh, I will say that um, when we say the full extent of the law, we understand a couple of things. Um, Number one, there's always, almost always, at federal and state level, room for um, discretion um, or kind of uh, uh, wisdom, and uh, you know, there's flexibility um, in the law uh, with respect to uh, what prosecutors go for and what judges allow and what juries um, convict for. And uh, at the same time, it has to be uh, it goes up against evidence. Um, and so it needs to be a just process. And it, it depends on what prosecutors can prove in a court of law. Right. And so with mm-hmm. a chaotic situation like the Capitol attack, um, uh, it's going to be messy and it's going to be difficult uh, sometimes to prosecute um, what it was basically a mob. Um, and so they're going to have to, you know, they've rounded up and arrested the people that they can. Uh, but in this kind of chaotic situation where uh, your primary security force had completely lost control of the situation, that's going to be difficult. Um, but when we talk about rule of law and um, you know, uh, fullest extent of the law. Um, those of us who are conservative, um, rightward, um, you know, we often place an emphasis on border security and uh, enforcement of federal law. Um, and if we care that much for so many years about that particular issue that has been um, a pretty consistent drumbeat for, gosh, two decades now um, about uh, border security and immigration, then how much more ought we demand the fullest extent of the law be applied when our house of legislation of legislative work uh, is attacked and invaded um, mm-hmm. uh, that we we have to be consistent 
on that uh, that point for the sake of the credibility of our movement um, for people who care supposedly about rule of law um, in in a moment that has now taken the life of five people, including a Capitol police officer. Um, I will say this though, I you know I, this is a terribly profound uh, moment in our nation's history. It's shocking. It ought to sadden us. At the same time, democracy won. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. These insurrectionists lost. Um, they, you know, to the extent that it was, um, you know, organized or <laughs> strategic, um, it was clearly intended to disrupt a very particular vote uh, that is codifying the uh, electoral votes that elected um, um, Biden to office. Um, but we won, and the vote happened still in the same day. Um, the, st- the same calendar day. And so American democracy will go on. Um, we're not in great shape right now, um, but it, for now we'll continue. Um, but, so um, this, we kind of have to balance this I'm in this yeah. paradoxical world where um, we need to be rightly offended and I think, frankly, righteously angry about what happened on Tuesday. At the same time, um, we can be confident that that these thugs lost. And so uh, these folks are in the category, in my mind, of the, the uh, Charlottesville nonsense where you had uh, a bunch of right, uh, white supremacists uh, waving tiki torches at night. Uh, so they are ultimately powerless. Um, nevertheless, uh, they need to face consequences. And uh, frankly, um, to speak to my own political affiliation, uh, the Republican Party owns this mess right now. Um, what we saw, in, in addition to a fight for our, the soul of our nation on Tuesday, uh, we saw this is a fight for the soul of an American political party. Um, we probably don't have time to get into all of that this morning, um, but I do want to make mention of it now. Um, as you see um, Republicans who uh, even the most vocal Republicans, um, uh, even as high as Vice President Pence, finally, through their actions and words, even indirectly, uh, tell President Trump that this is over. Um, And it's sad that it took five people dying um, from a Capitol Hill attack um, for this to happen. So there is going to be a uh, peaceful transition of power. The president has uh, has conceded. He uh, has now uh, everybody in uh, gauged actively in the process of getting the Biden administration up to speed and ready to take over. Resignations uh, have begun flowing from Trump administration officials, including two members of the cabinet who have resigned in part because of what took place this week. But my guess is this is also sort of how things uh, come to an end at the end of of an administration when people begin to leave before the lights are actually turned out. Um, and the keys uh, and the keys handed over to someone else. Um, Biden has begun uh, not only making nominations, but some really key nominations. One of those I want to highlight for folks is the nomination of Merrick Garland to serve as the next attorney general of the United States. That's a name people are going to recognize and be familiar with. And it will also yeah. be this Justice Department that will ultimately prosecute these um, these individuals uh, who broke federal yeah. crimes. Um, this week uh, in in Washington, D.C. So that's an interesting turn of events as well. 
Yeah. Um, I, I want to make a, I make, make a note about uh, some of what we're talking about, this transition. Uh, President Trump indicated, and we've, we've used the language of a peaceful transition. We can't use that language anymore. This has not been a peaceful transition. Mm. Mm. For there the will now be a and, there will now be a transition, but it but it won't be it, it, it has the, not been peaceful, and so therefore we can't characterize the whole process as such. Exactly. This is yeah. this is now officially a a violent and deadly transition of American power. Mm. That is a sad commentary, my friend. Um, it is. All right, Matt, we got to leave it right there. Um, I look forward to much more joyful conversations with you uh, in the weeks Likewise. to come. 2021 is going to be uh, full of God's grace and mercy and evidences of it. And we are going to uh, uh, highlight those um, when we are able to do so. Today's, today's headlines um, drove us in this particular direction. But thank you for going there with us, my friend. Happy to do it. Yeah. Give our uh, Hey, give our greetings to... Um, your friends in, in D.C. who are still there, particularly, uh, you know, all I of will. our colleagues at the RLC. Yeah. Thanks, man. Yeah. We'll all right, it. friends, we've got to take a very brief break. Um, when we come back, Chris Martin is going to be here. We're going to talk about social media. That's up next. Here on Mornings with Carmen. All right. You may or may not have noticed that the president of the United States has had his social media accounts suspended uh, and Senator Josh Hawley had a book in the works with Simon & Schuster. Um, the, the book is actually on big tech. Uh, that contract has now been canceled in no small measure because Simon & Schuster does not like Josh Hawley's politics. Interesting turn of events, all media-related and social media-related and publishing-related. So who better to talk with us about what's going on than Chris Martin? He's the editor for Moody Press and a social media consultant, and he's with us next. Let me ask you a question. Are you content with whatever your teen wants to do with his or her life? Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Teens often feel that they can't live up to their parents' expectations, even if your hopes are totally reasonable. So let me ask the question again. Will you be authentically content with whatever they tell you they want to do in life? Will you be happy if they decide to pursue something other than your personal preference? It's wise to begin talking about expectations, both from your perspective and from your teen's point of view. Develop a heart for your teen's desires, even if it's not what you'd prefer. It's the key to keeping your relationship with your child authentic, growing, and healthy. Looking for more parenting wisdom? Go online to parentingtodaysteens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. Joining me now, uh, Chris Martin. You can find him at his Terms of Service blog. Uh, you can also find him at Moody Press, where he serves as an editor. He's a social media consultant. Chris, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me, Carmen. Good to talk to you uh, today. Absolutely. So um, I, I think that my lead off for everybody for a few days is going to be, you know, hey, just what's your what's your reaction to events in the nation this week? Um, I'm not surprised. Uh, I'm sad. Mm -hmm. um, last night, it really—I I was mad first, which I think was probably a lot of people's reaction. Because I mean, if you spend your life growing up in this country and you—you know—you come to revere that the silhouette of the dome on the sky, you know, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. and and when you see that, 
breached, especially by a group of people that um, leaders in your own religious movement have said you're compelled to buy into. Um, my first reaction was anger. Um, my second reaction hit me about last night when I was eating dinner and it was profound sadness. Um, mm -hmm. and, um, I'm, I'm still, it's going to take me a bit to kind of, uh, recover from that, from what I saw mm -hmm. this week. Um, but, but my reaction from a social media, uh, thinkers perspective, I guess you could say is, um, this group and this president have been telegraphing this all along. Um, so anyone who considers himself to be an informed person um, and says they're surprised, I think just maybe weren't taking the president or these people seriously. There was a really great – one last thing I'll say before you can get us into other discussion. There was a great line that was used a lot during the election because a lot of people thought the president was going to lose pretty significantly this this year. A lot of people thought that uh, who were who were um, tracking polls or whatever. Again, the polls were saying that the president Biden was going to win, and um, and someone someone said it's time we start taking what people say on the internet as what they actually believe. Mm -hmm. um, and and I think this is a perfect example of that. And I think a lot of people. Everyone from um, evangelical leaders to political leaders to the Capitol Police didn't think that all of the posts these people were making on Facebook or Parlay or the darker corners of the Internet uh, because they've been saying they've been ha they've had this day on the calendar for weeks. And I think a lot of people just didn't think they were serious. And and what some people mean by. Uh, strong or what some people mean by action is different than uh, how others understand or interpret that. And so I, I think that um, there there are many, many conversations going forward. Let's have one now about social media. Um, the president of the United States has had at least some of his access to social media accounts suspended by those social media companies. That's pretty significant. Um, Senator Josh Hawley has now lost a book contract with Simon & Schuster. The book was uh, to be about big tech and its influence in the world. Um, but because of his politics, uh, he has lost that contract. I think that's an interesting conversation um, as well. Um, but I really do want to talk with you about how we can all use social media for good in 2021. So uh, sure. pick and choose your subject matter where you want to start. Yeah, yeah. I think the first couple of things are worth talking about. So first to the president's um, suspension from social media. So Twitter suspended his, or not Twitter, uh, Snapchat actually suspended his account back in June. Um, and okay, Facebook, confessing, confessing, I didn't know the president yeah. had a Snap account, and um, really kind of surprised that that was a place he was engaging. But anyway, go uh, ahead. Yeah, I mean their campaign has a and has an account on every major social media platform. So they they pro, they were the first way back in June. Um, Facebook uh, most recently. Uh, so largely, if you aren't aware of how social media platforms have handled the president, they've said basically throughout his presidency, yes, he's breaking our rules. Like they've said that um, that he's breaking our rules in terms of. Um, uh, veiled in sometimes explicitly or sometimes veiled ways calling for violence um, and and otherwise harassing people. So he, they've said repeatedly that, yes, he's breaking our rules. However, 
it's important for national security and for the people to be informed that we that we allow him a space on this platform. And so what they've and that, that's kind of their policy for all elected officials, they've said. I'm talking Facebook and Twitter. That's that's kind of their policy is elected officials have more leniency because they're using their platforms as a means of communicating with people and the social media platforms think it's important that the elected officials do that even if they're not abiding by the rules because the the things that president trump has done on twitter for instance throughout his presidency would have gotten me or you banned years ago um but not him now um a lot they've been they've actually been criticized significantly for that uh because People have said, people in my my field, kind of the social media uh, thinkers field, have said, um, you're, you know, you're, you've caged a lion, and at some point you're going to maybe have to pay for that because it, it's what you've tried to do here may just might blow up in your face um, because he's rallying people around messages and things like that. That if people actually start to act could have some significantly negative consequences. Um, and so here we have the president um, inciting what he incited a riot on Wednesday um, and the Facebook powers that be and the Twitter powers that be, namely Jack Dorsey and Mark Zuckerberg, finally decided, okay, that's, this is the line. Um, inciting, uh, telling the people at your rally to march on the Capitol and then them actually doing it uh, was was the line that they they said this can't be crossed, and so they uh, Facebook suspended him for two weeks uh, at least until inauguration day, and and maybe they said we'll we'll evaluate after that. Um, Twitter suspended him for twelve hours and said that he needed to delete a couple of tweets that were um, inciting violence and and kind of egging on the situation from the other day. Uh, he did that, and then the first piece of content he posted on Twitter last night. Obviously, a lot of people saw the concession speech that was a couple months late. Um, and I think it is worth saying, I saw someone say, if he had posted that concession, concession speech even a week ago, five people may still be alive today. And I think that's worth um, noting, uh, who, who died during the Capitol riots. And so I think um, I think it's amazing. Kevin Roos of the New York Times tweeted last night, uh, President Trump's concession speech on Twitter finally conceding shows that Mark Zuckerberg and, and Jack Dorsey are, are two of the most popular two of the most powerful people in the country um, because mm -hmm. I think that that speaks to and Twitter said um, you have two strikes one more strike and the president will be permanently banned from Twitter and so I think the president is taking that seriously um, and and we're seeing that play out um, I'm happy to address the uh, the Hawley situation as well but do we need to go to a break or do we have a minute no, we got it. Let's uh, let's jump to a break. And then when we come back, let's um, let's address the Holly situation in no small measure because you now work for a publisher. Right. This be a fun be a fun conversation. All right. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Continuing my conversation with Chris Martin from the Terms of Service blog. He also serves as an editor for Moody Press and a social media consultant. Um, Chris, let's take up the um, let's take up the conversation about Simon and Schuster canceling their contract with Senator Josh Hawley to publish a book about big tech. Um, so not a book expressly about politics, but it is his politics that uh, 
that resulted in this uh, the canceling of this contract? Yeah, so um, I'm, and let me be clear here from the beginning. I'm speaking as a uh, as someone. I'm actually speaking more to this issue as someone who's an author himself, rather than as someone who Good. works for a publisher. I love uh, it. I, I obviously can't speak for my publisher on this issue, but um, as someone who is just turned in a book manuscript and had to sign an author contract, um, <laughs> I remember a few lines in my author contract. That um, so he, before we get into the particulars, and I think it's a really simple discussion as to why Simon Schuster, Simon and Schuster had every right to uh, decline publishing this book or any other book they decide not to, whether it's because uh, someone says they like the color red or because they um, uh, bring bring objections to an election uh, on the floor of the Senate. Um, I think it's interesting when folks get upset about a private company like Simon & Schuster deciding convictionally that they would prefer not to publish the work of someone that they had thought they would want to publish with. Um, a lot of folks would get really upset at that and say, First Amendment rights or um, a publisher like this should, shouldn't be able to not publish someone because of their political beliefs. Yet at the same time, they would say that a, a private Christian school is allowed to require professors or, or teachers to be Christians or to say that students have to align themselves to a particular moral code. Sometimes I think Christians say um, it's okay for it, – it's, it's important for Christian organizations to be able to enter into business agreements with people based on their faith and their convictions. But it's – but when a, another organization who rejects the business of someone that I that I agree with, I actually think that's a First Amendment violation. And so I think we we need to see the um, the difference there and the kind of the logical issues there. Um, I think Simon and Schuster is a private organization, and they have every right to decline publishing with an individual because of their convictions and the convictions of that individual. Just like a private Christian school has every right to decline employing a teacher because their convictions wouldn't align with the convictions of the private Christian school. Um, so principally, I think the argument that Simon & Schuster uh, isn't allowed to decline publishing the book is a little broken, and I think Christians would agree. They wouldn't want that same standard applied to, like, a, like I say, a Christian school or something like that. Um, but uh, from a very technical and specific perspective, when I signed my author contract, I remember there being lines about how the author – I mean when you sign a contract with an author typically – and I, did, you know, I didn't see Mr. Hawley's contract, but um, typically you're, you're working for hire for them. Uh, you're an at-will employee for that publisher effectively. So what that means is, is if you do something that's a – that's problematic for the publisher, uh, whether it's committing a crime or holding a very public view or, you know, um, uh, undermining a legitimate election on the stage of the U.S. Senate while a riot is going on within the U.S. Senate. You know, that uh, Simon & Schuster publishing a book by someone who did that uh, could reflect poorly on them as an institution. I think we could all see how that would be the case. And so um, in most contracts, there are clauses about how if if the author who is signing the contract 
um, takes action that would reflect poorly on the publisher, the publisher has every right to cancel and strike that contract. Um, and so I'm guessing without knowing all the details that that is what Simon and Schuster has invoked here. And they have every right to do that, assuming that Mr. Hawley signed the contract. Um, so that's how most publishing agreements work. That's how mine worked. And, and I've seen plenty of issues in the past having worked for another publisher, Lifeway Christian Resources, where contracts have had to be canceled for moral or um, or reasons that are rooted in uh, defamatory actions taken by the author in question that could reflect poorly on the publisher. And my guess is that's what happened with Simon and Schuster and Mr. Hawley here. Yeah. And I think that since uh, since Josh Hawley and his wife are both attorneys, my guess is they read the fine print. And my guess is that uh, he probably already has another publisher if he wants one. Oh, I'm sure he'll find I, one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's lots of publishers. Um, all right. So let's talk about um, let's talk about how we might use social media for good in 2021. Let's uh, let's make a pivot here in our conversation and uh, sort of get on the side of um, how how we can use all of the liberty available to us on social media to advance the good in this year. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I mean, it, it, we knew that it was going to be a dark year coming into this year before January 6th happened. We we are losing a 9-11 number of Americans to coronavirus every day. And we have been for about a month. And so it's it's going to be a dark beginning to 2021. And I think uh, we all recognize that. So I think it's important for us to use social media for good going into this year. Um, I think three three ways we can do that. I'm publishing this article this morning in about a half an hour. Um, three simple ways that we can actually do that. I think first we have to be intentional. We have to realize that social media is not neutral and it's not inherently good, which means it's inherently broken. And because it's Social media is created by sinful people. It didn't just appear in the wilderness one day that we can as a blank slate sort of tool that we can use for good or ill. Um, social media is uh, bent towards sin and destruction, which means we as users of social media, if we're going to use it for good, uplifting reasons, we have to be intentional about that. Um, and so our, our sinful hearts are going to lead us to sign up as gladiators for social media warfare or to punch our tickets, grab our popcorn, and, and watch the madness take place. And so I think um, speaking convictionally, as a number of us have had to do this week about things that concern us or upset us, is important. At the same time, I think we need to be intentional about being kind and being um, gracious to people as well. I think if, we, if we're going to have any hope for using social media for good, we're going to have to be really intentional about it. Secondly, um, I think we need to share encouraging and uplifting content. We share discouraging content every day. I do it. People do it. It's important to um, highlight issues in our world, especially this week as we've seen. But at the same time, we should try to share encouraging and uplifting content as much as we can. Link to a blog post that highlights the good work of a ministry or community program you're a part of. Take a picture of the beautiful sunset in your backyard. Uh, anything that's just um, – that might encourage someone or help them um, – Smile, have a better day than they were having. Doing that uh, can be really helpful and a really way to shine, a really good way to shine the light of the gospel uh, in a, what can be a really dark place. Third and finally, uh, try to say something nice to someone every day. This is a challenge I've kind of given myself for this year. Um, and whether you do it every day or at least once a week or something like that, put a remind. If you're a social media user, put a reminder in your phone 
um, to reach out to someone and encourage them personally in some way on social media every day or a couple times a week or something like that. So that doesn't mean you have to, you know, uh, publicly praise them. You could certainly do that, but maybe it's just, uh, you look at who's on Facebook right now and you say, Oh, I haven't talked to Steve in a while. Let me send him a message about how, um, I miss him. I'm grateful for him. And I hope he's having a great day or something like that. Um, if you read a really great blog post or book by an author and you find that they have a Twitter, um, hop on and, and mention them on Twitter and say, man, I just read this really great book by John. You should go check it out. And I think he's doing really great things with the gifts that God has given him. Um, just try to say something nice to someone every day uh, and try to try to lift people up more than you tear them down. So those are a few ways that I think we can use social media for good. I think there are a lot of other ways. Those are just a few that I kind of thought of off the top of my head. Well done. Well done. Thanks. I love it. I'm, I'm going to um, impress upon people on social media that they should do this. They should follow your lead in this. Amen. Yeah. Good. All right. Chris, we got to leave it right there. Um, Happy New Year to you and your people. Blessings on what you're doing. Um, We look forward to our ongoing conversations. I I feel confident there will be much for us to discuss um, across a broad range of topics this year. And so appreciate your your ongoing um, willingness to to talk with us. Of course. Always happy to come on. Thanks, Carmen. Have a great day. God bless. We'll be right back. All right, much of uh, much of your feedback um, on my uh, text line in this hour um, has been um, uh, has been concern for the media's um, biased presentation. Uh, here's the challenge that we face: um, the media is the media, and it is how most people across the culture get their news and information. And so uh, we we partake of it. We press it through the filter of scripture. We seek to discern the mind of Christ on the matters of the day, um, and then we engage with one another, both in private and public conversation about these things. One uh, one listener observing, part of me wonders if the problems we have seen this week are a byproduct of the teaching of a generation uh, to think that their emotions rather than their logic, um, you know, drive the day. Absolutely. And if you missed my conversation on Monday with Carl Truman about his book about uh, the modern self, that is a podcast you should go and listen to. If you want to understand how we got here, not just individually, but as a culture of expressive individualists, um, that is a must-listen podcast. I don't often do this. I don't often send you back to listen to something that we've talked with someone about earlier in the week. But Monday's conversation with Dr. Carl Truman about his book is, I think, a must-listen. And his book, among all the books I've read, his book's a must-read. All right, we got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next Thank you so much for taking me along for the ride. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.